and well met, everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. So I sort of teased it a little bit last week, and of course, by now you've seen the title of this episode. But the subscriber chosen topic for this week deals with Halloween. It's a little out of season, but I mean, Halloween is coming. It's, in my opinion, the next big holiday that's coming. I know Labor Day is coming up, but to be honest, not everyone gets Labor Day off. Not that everyone gets Halloween off, but it's more celebrated. It's a bigger holiday, in my opinion. Because Halloween's worldwide and Labor Day is just America. So, what the subscriber who on Twitter is Kacharis Moon, so hi Becca, if you're listening, which I'd assume you are since you're a subscriber, but who knows. So, she requested that I cover the topic of Halloween costumes around the world. I did some researching, and it turns out that Halloween is actually more of a European-based holiday. So even though it is now currently celebrated around the world to varying degrees, back in the day when it originated, it was mainly just European. So it's not something where I could actually cover the origins of Halloween costumes in different countries because they didn't sprout up quite the same way. The actual Halloween as we know it originated just from European culture. So Japan adopted Halloween as a holiday, but it's not something where Japan has necessarily got origins of its own for the Halloween costumes. So with Becca's permission, I changed the topic slightly, and instead I'm going to be doing sort of the overall origins of Halloween. For anyone who hasn't listened before to the show. Actually, I don't know if I've mentioned this, so maybe it wouldn't matter if you'd listened before, but I love Halloween. I am a huge nerd, a huge geek. I love dressing up in the different costumes. Not surprisingly, for anyone who's been listening, I love cats, so my go-to is a cat. Secondary reason for this is because at the cat hospital where I work, we are allowed to dress up on Halloween within reason. We still have to be wearing scrubs because we have to be functional for the day, but we're allowed to dress up in costume, and my go-to costume is a black cat because it's easy. I can wear black scrubs and then throw on some cat ears and some makeup, and you've got a black cat. And I can still function all day, which is very important. So to start us off, I'm going to talk about the original holidays that later turned into the Halloween that you and I know today. It all started, as I've mentioned already, in Europe, specifically in three different holidays mainly. The first one is actually a Celtic holiday, and I know it is still celebrated by some uh, Wiccans and Celts today, and it is called Samhain. Now, you may have seen this word written places as the original name, quote-unquote, of Halloween, It looks like it says Samhain. It's S-A-M-H-I-A-I-N. It looks like Samhain, but in Gaelic, it's actually pronounced Samhain. So Samhain was celebrated by the Celts. 
They were tribal warriors, pretty badass if you've ever looked into the history of them, great fighters. But they started Samhain as a celebration at the end of October, which was supposed to mark sort of the transition from summer to winter. One of the reasons that they chose this time frame, and it wasn't necessarily back then celebrated on October 31st, it was probably closer to November 5th or 6th, and I'll tell you why. So anyone who's ever looked at a Western calendar, which realistically is probably most of you listening to me, they would have seen that during winter there is a winter solstice and during spring, excuse me, during summer there's a summer solstice and then there is a spring equinox, which is the first day of spring and also a autumnal equinox, so first day of fall. The reason these come into play is because a lot of peoples around the world celebrated those four quarters, the four different seasons and these days that marked them. You know, the winter solstice is the shortest day of the year when we have the longest night, and then the summer solstice is the longest day and the shortest night. And then, of course, we had the two others that cut the year in half the other way for spring and fall. And the Celts actually celebrated what is called the cross quarters. So these cross quarter holidays were the holidays that fell between the solstices and the equinoxes. This relates back to Halloween because the time when they celebrated this holiday that eventually added to others and became Halloween was between the autumnal, the fall equinox, and the winter solstice. So if you cut those two in half in terms of the number of days, it actually falls closer to November 5th or 6th as opposed to October 31st. But that was how they got the time frame for that celebration. So Samhain is actually also the Gaelic word for November. And they would celebrate this holiday. They believed that anyone who had died in the previous year would come back and walk the earth for that one night. Sort of a goodbye remembrance sort of situation or possibly more spooky, ghosty. It's a little harder to tell exactly because there's not a lot of written record from back then. This was a long time ago. But it was a very important holiday for them because it also, as I mentioned earlier, transitioned from summer to winter. So it was sort of their mid-ground festival. And what they would do is actually sort of parade out. And I don't know that they actually went in, you know, one big line like we would now for a parade. But they did some sort of group parade out to the edges of their villages. And they would leave offerings for those who had passed away as sort of an encouragement to leave them alone and not cause them problems. And, you know, possibly to honor them a little bit as well. And they would also sometimes leave out food and drinks for the same reason. So essentially, instead of people going from house to house and being given gifts, they were leaving their houses and going to an area farther away from them and leaving behind something to appease the spirits, essentially. So that's one of the holidays that contributed to Halloween. Another one is actually a Roman holiday. So anyone who knows their British history myself included, is very well aware that the British Isles got conquered by a lot of different people, including the Romans. The Romans had a holiday that they called Pomona, and Pomona is actually also the goddess of gardens and fruits. 
Now, her holiday fell around the same time. It was a harvest festival, so it fell around the same time as Samhain, around the uh, cross-quarter between the autumnal equinox and the winter solstice. And what they would do is they would leave out apples and nuts and use those as tribute to Pomona to say, thank you for such a wonderful harvest. Well, when they conquered the British Isles, they brought that tradition with them. And over time, the Pomona holiday and the Samhain holiday sort of mixed together. And actually, if you look at current Halloween traditions, you can see evidence of apples being important even now in Halloween, because, you know, we've got the bobbing for apples and the candied apples, which are very traditional Halloween game. Well, it's a very traditional Halloween game and a very traditional Halloween treat. And those both historically can be traced back to the celebration of Pomona from the Romans, where they would leave out the apples and nuts for her as tribute. So that's kind of cool. You can trace it all the way back then. And then after that, the third holiday that gets glomped into what we now call Halloween is actually from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, when it gained prominence and started taking over all the different parts of Europe, which did happen both politically and religiously, if you know your history, when they eventually made their way to the British Isles and conquered the British Isles as well, they brought with them their own holidays. And one that they had was celebrated on November 1st called All Saints Day. All Saints Day was a day to celebrate any of the saints who didn't have their own holiday. So you wouldn't celebrate St. Patrick, for example, on All Saints Day because he had his own holiday. You would be celebrating the other ones. They also called All Saints Day All Hallows Day. And over time, the night before All Hallows Day became referred to as All Hallows Eve, which is actually a phrase that does still get used today when referring to Halloween sometimes. All Hallows Eve also was referred to sometimes as All Hallows Evening. And over time, anyone who's done a lot of old poetry reading will, you know, I'm talking like Shakespeare and the older poetry, will see that they would often shorten words or mishmash words together. So it's not really all that surprising that over time, All Hallows Evening or Hallows Evening eventually became Hallows Ian and then Halloween, the way we know it today. In terms of the traditions of Halloween, it's also not a big surprise that given it came from these three holidays, they all sort of merged together to become what we now recognize, or at least what we recognize as more traditional Halloween. I think we can all agree that nowadays it's a lot more commercialized than it would have been back then. I mean, they didn't really commercialize holidays the way they do now. And also, you know, obviously some of the costumes and things are not going to be the same. I very much doubt that sexy clown or sexy lobster would have been kinds of costumes that people would have worn back in the Middle Ages and, you know, early 1800s and things like that. So things have changed a lot from the traditions. But all three came together, and between Samhain, Pomona, and All Hallows' Eve, we now have Halloween. Here in America, the traditions of Halloween originally came over with settlers from England who were moving here and ended up in Virginia. So Virginia, for anyone who doesn't know, is married, married, wow, named after, I can talk, I swear, named after Queen Elizabeth I, 
who was known for being the Virgin Queen. So they moved to Virginia and they brought with them their traditions of Halloween. So up until later years, around the mid-1800s, Halloween was really only celebrated in the southern U.S. area. It did spread slightly over time, and then in the mid-1800s, which is when I mentioned it started spreading more, the reason that happened is because a lot of Irish immigrants started coming over from Ireland, and with them they brought the traditions of Halloween that they had grown up with. For anyone who doesn't know, I hope they do, but for anyone who doesn't know, the British Isles is more than just England. England is part of the United Kingdom, part of Great Britain, but Great Britain or the British Isles also includes Scotland, Wales, and Ireland. And so when the Irish started coming over here in larger numbers, they brought their traditions with them, and as they spread across the country, so did the traditions of Halloween. Now, even back then, it still wasn't quite what we recognize today. It would have been very different. There wasn't really a lot of costuming, or it was very a much more mild costuming, for example. And it wasn't until the 1900s when it really started becoming sort of the trick-or-treating, dress-up Halloween that we know. And it wasn't really until the 1950s that costume parties and trick-or-treating became traditions for everyone. Up until then, it had just been a few people here and there. So we're going to take our break, and when I come back, I'm going to tell you more about the origins of trick-or-treating and dressing up in costume, as well as some similar holidays from around the world. They're not exactly the same as Halloween, but some more traditional holidays from around the world that have some similarities in terms of theme. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's mid-roll. So I want to start off by talking about World Anvil. I've talked about them the last two weeks, but I cannot talk about them enough. It's a fantastic website. You can organize and create your worlds for your role-playing games or for a book you might be working on or any kind of story you might be working on. It just helps keep everything straight. There's so many different features that work wonderfully. So worldanvil.com, I definitely recommend you check it out. And coming up soon, you'll be able to go there to find out more about a big Nerdsmith project that's going to be getting announced soon. So if you're already following Nerdsmith, I definitely recommend you stay tuned. I also want to remind everyone that even though I'm so happy that you enjoy listening to me every week and continue to listen to me, which I, I can't explain how much I appreciate that, I also want to remind everyone that it's really reviews and word of mouth that spread information about podcasts like mine or like any of the other ones here at Nerdsmith. So if you have friends who listen to podcasts, Please, you know, don't forget to drop our name. Let them go check it out for themselves, nerdsmith.org, and they can find out more about the different shows. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave some reviews on iTunes for us. We really appreciate it, and it's things like that that help get us more noticed, and the reviews really do bump up who sees the show and how many see the show. So thank you again to everyone who does subscribe and listen weekly. And with that, let's get back into this week's topic. Okay, so in terms of the origins of trick-or-treating and also costuming at Halloween, 
the trick-or-treating itself, going door-to-door and asking for something, actually started with a Middle Ages tradition called souling. What souling entailed is that on All Hallows' Day, so not Halloween, but November 1st, people would, specifically the poor, poor people would go door-to-door, especially to richer houses, and ask for food. They would basically beg for food at someone's door. And in exchange for giving them food, the poor people who were asking for food, how many times can I say food? Let's see. Yeah. The poor people who were asking for donations from the rich would agree to pray for that rich person's deceased family member. So, for example, if I was rich, and I which wish I was, but I'm not, if I was rich and I had someone pass away in my family, then on All Hallows' Day, if someone who was poor came to my house, I would give them food. I would give them some meat or some cheese or bread or something that they wanted, and in exchange, they would say, I will pray for your dearly departed loved one tomorrow on All Souls' Day, which is November 2nd, the day after All Hallows' Day. So this was a big tradition in the Middle Ages, and people would do it regularly. And then around the 1800s in Scotland, we know of a tradition called guising. Guising involved children wearing costumes and going door to door to ask people for treats, which is much more similar to the trick-or-treating that you and I know now. Sorry about the little tinkling bell sound for anyone that can hear it. I swear my cats wait until I start talking to my computer to decide they have to be on top of me getting attention from me. So sorry about the little tinkling cat bell. Ironically, she's a black cat, so it's very topical for today's podcast. But that's a whole different story. So in terms of guising, it started in Scotland and the children would wear costumes and go to door and ask for treats. Now, we don't know specifically what phrase they were using, in terms of the trick-or-treat situation that we know now, but guising eventually made its way to America, both from Scottish immigrants and other British Isle immigrants. And over here, it eventually became trick-or-treating. So, you know, like we do now, going to the door and saying trick-or-treat and having people give you candy or whatever it was at the time. However, back then, people actually didn't like trick-or-treating. A lot of adults felt like they were almost being extorted or bribed because these children would play tricks on them if they didn't give them a treat. And I know traditions from one city to another were probably very different in terms of what kind of tricks the children would do or how they would dress up. For anyone who has ever watched Meet Me in St. Louis, it's a really old Judy Garland movie, so there might not be a lot of you out there who have. My mother happens to be a huge old movie fan, so I grew up watching them. But in that movie, they're in St. Louis, and it's very, very early. I believe it's 1849 or something like that. It's whenever the St. Louis State Fair was in St. Louis. Excuse me, St. Louis World Fair happened. And what they did is they showed Halloween night, and the two younger sisters to Judy Garland's character got dressed up as... Uh, I don't like this word, but they got dressed up as hobos, quote unquote, and they would 
they met up with the other kids and what those kids were doing is instead of going to houses and asking for candy, they were actually going to people's houses, knocking on the door, ringing the doorbell. And when someone opened it, they would throw flour in their face, which is extremely different from what you and I now know is trick or treating. But that wasn't a complete, that's not something that the writers for that show necessarily made up. Now, whether or not it was done exactly the way they show in the movie, that's a whole different story. But in terms of Halloween traditions, it really wasn't common back in the day for people to give out candy and treats. A lot more often there were tricks being played. And so, like I mentioned, a lot of adults felt like they were being extorted or bribed to give the children candy and treats so that they didn't have tricks played on them. And even some children were not super big fans of the tradition of trick-or-treating. There are pictures as far back as, well, as early or as far back, depending on which way you look at it, from 1948 of boys carrying a banner that said, American children don't beg. Now, to be fair, part of the phrasing on that and part of the reason that it was a thing is most likely also due to the war that had just happened, which was very, you know, gung-ho for America, World War II, so many things happened then. But right before World War II, for anyone who doesn't know, the U.S. was in a depression. All of the activity and the industry of World War II actually got America out of a big financial depression. And so the fact that these children were responding after World War II and after the U.S. had gotten out of a depression by saying American children don't beg is probably also a slightly political statement, in addition to the fact that they just maybe didn't like trick-or-treating for one reason or another. And then by the 1950s, mid-1950s, so, you know, even just seven years later after those boys are pictured with that banner, all of a sudden, it's become a much more established holiday. It's much more common for everyone to dress up in costumes and go trick-or-treating. Costume parties are starting to happen. Halloween parties in general are starting to happen. So it didn't take very long for the holiday to spread. And then in terms of Halloween around the world, there are other countries who have holidays that are somewhat similar. However, Halloween as it's known now really, really became what it is in America. And then, as happens with quite a few American things over the years, we spread it around everywhere because the U.S. has military bases all over the world. And we have allies and influence all over the world because that's just how America likes to do it. And especially way back in the day, that's how they did it. And maybe somewhat now, too, but that's a whole different story. And I keep saying and, sorry. But anyway, um, the other holidays include things like Dia de los Muertos from Mexico. Now, I apologize because I do speak some Spanish, but my accent is not perfect. So this might not sound fantastic as I'm talking. Dia de los Muertos is generally celebrated on November 1st and November 2nd, which for anyone who is paying attention to my earlier mentionings of holidays, knows that November 1st is All Saints Day, or All Hallows Day, and November 2nd is All Souls Day. So on those two days, the Mexican people celebrate Dia de los Muertos. And considering that 
the Catholic Church had a, a very strong influence in Mexico, it is not overly surprising that those two holidays became part of local traditions and morphed into what we now know as that holiday. One of the things that's different is that instead of going trick-or-treating exactly the way we do it, on Dia de los Muertos, the children will go around and say, Me da mi calaverita which roughly translates to, can you give me my little skull? This sounds very strange for anyone who's not familiar with the traditions of Dia de los Muertos, but beyond the fact that you see these skull motifs, the very colorful, beautiful skull motifs, they actually also make little sugar skull candies. It's literally a sugar, a little skull made out of sugar. They're very tasty, probably not super good for you because it's basically pure sugar, but they're tasty. And they give those out and they decorate them and they use them as offerings to their ancestors. It's a big part of the holiday. And so basically children are going around saying, can I have my little sugar skull? Which sounds better than just, can I have my little skull? Over in China, they also have the Festival of the Hungry Ghosts, which is a way to honor deceased ancestors. They believed that their deceased ancestors would return on these days to visit and see them, and so they would, hungry ghosts, they would leave out food offerings. And then over in Iran, there's also celebrations during, I'm going to butcher this, so I'm so sorry, Nowruz, I think is how you say it, N-O-W-R-U-Z. It looks like Nowruz, but I'm not 100%. And basically, that's their New Year's, and one of their New Year's traditions and his sort of traditional celebrations is that their ancestors visit the people at the end of the year to check up on them and see how they're doing and or give them blessings, that kind of thing. So even in other cultures that are not necessarily as heavily influenced as America's by European traditions and beliefs, there's still belief that at some point your ancestors come back or that you honor your ancestors on a certain day. I do know that another example, and it's not quite the same as this, but another example is the Japanese celebration of the Obondori. Obondori, which is spelled O-B-O-N-D-O-R-I. Dori basically means festival, and the Obondori is a time to celebrate your ancestors. It can be traced back about 500 years or so, and it's a sort of a merging of two holidays of a Buddhist and Confucian custom, and it just spread across Japan. It's a time when people traditionally will go back to their ancestral homes, they'll clean their ancestors' graves, their ancestors are supposed to visit the household altars. So there's a lot of similarities between that and things like Dia de los Muertos and Halloween depending on which version you celebrate, Samhain, I mean, all of the traditions going all the way back. Not surprisingly, a lot of people, a lot of different cultures, developed ways to honor their passed-on loved ones. It just so happens in terms of the Obondori that it doesn't happen around the same time as Halloween. It's actually earlier. Traditionally, it's often done in August, and then sometimes it's also done in July. It depends on where you are. I know growing up in San Jose here in California, the Obondori is often around mid-July, 
So it passed a few weeks ago. Sometimes it's in August, but what they do there in the Bay Area is all the different Buddhist churches coordinate so that their Obon festivals don't fall on the same day as a different church's. That way, if someone wants to, they can go to every single Obondori because none of the big Buddhist churches have them on the same day. So Mountain View's Obondori is on a different weekend than San Jose's Obondori, which is on a different weekend than San Francisco's Obondori. And they do it that way so that anyone who wants to can go celebrate at every single one, which personally I think is really cool, though I am biased because I grew up there and I love it. I grew up doing that festival, but it's also referred to sometimes as the Festival of Lanterns. Um, for anyone who's watched the old Karate Kid movies, specifically, I think it's the second one where Daniel goes to Japan with Mr. Miyagi. When they're there in Okinawa, they actually celebrate the Obondori, the Lantern Festival. You see them dancing in the rings and celebrating with the lanterns and they're honoring uh, Mr. Miyagi's passed on father with the lanterns on the water. So the lanterns are used as a way to honor passed on loved ones as well as at the altars and everything like that. And then they do traditional obondori dancing, which is the dancing in lines in big circles and there's different dances. Uh, there's traditionally people who are in some sort of float or I think in the old Karate Kid movie, they're on sort of like this raised dais in the middle. And they're the leaders of the dancing. So it's often where the singers will stand, the music will be based there, and then everyone dances around them in these big circles. I know that the Obondori in San Jose has become very popular over the years. I actually haven't gotten to go back for it the last few years, which really does make me sad because I love going. But they do the dancing. There's several days of the festival. Traditionally, it's a three-day festival. However, I know in San Jose, I think they do usually just the weekend because most people can manage that. So you can go Saturday, Sunday. There's lots of really good food, really good food if you like Japanese food. The one in San Jose at least has some games like bingo and a lot of the different uh, Japanese American groups will have booths where they have games and prizes and the shops will sometimes be open selling things. And, you know, there's just it's lots of fun. And you can find one in pretty much any city that's a big enough city to have a Buddhist church and or have a sizable Japanese community. So if you like Japanese culture and you think that sounds like something you'd want to check out, you can look up online for your town whether or not they have one, and if not, what the nearest one is. And as in terms of multicultural ancestral spirit holidays such as Halloween, Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Hungry Ghosts, Nauru's, and the Obondori, I definitely recommend looking into them if you want to. Just please keep in mind that if you do decide you want to try it out or see what it's like, that you honor the traditions of that culture and don't go... Don't go just as a curiosity looky-loo. If you're going to do it, go with respect. Because depending on where you are especially, these are not holidays that are just fun games. You know, it's not like the 4th of July where people are just lighting up fireworks and sometimes blowing things up if they're not paying attention, which is bad. 
it's also honoring someone's passed on loved ones. And depending on how traditional the people are that you're going to observe, that might be a really big deal for them. So if you have friends who fall into those cultural subsets, those cultural groups, you could talk to them and see what they think. You could look up online and see, hey, are outsiders welcome? I'm really curious. Most of the time, I do think the cultural groups would be more than happy to have people come. I know the Japanese American community in San Jose in particular is very welcoming to people wanting to come check out the festival and learn more about it. So they're, they welcome all sorts of people. We have people dancing in the lines with us who are not of Japanese descent at all. Some of my friends have gone with me before and they were not Japanese American like I am. And I've also seen other friends bring their friends who were not Japanese American. It's a very welcoming environment. I am not as familiar with those other festivals that I mentioned. So I don't know what the atmosphere is like with them. But I do know that in general, most Japanese American communities are happy to have people come check out the Obondori. It's a lot of fun. And that would potentially be a good way to sort of ease yourself into other cultural versions of Halloween. Okay, with that, I'm going to call an end to this week's episode. Please, if you have any subjects you want me to cover, don't forget to reach out to me on Twitter at Amethyst underscore magic, and that's magic with a CK. You can also find me on the Nerdsmith Discord server, which you can find a link to at the top of my Twitter page. It's pinned. And you can also find information on us at Facebook, at our Nerdsmith webpage on Facebook. You can find links to the Discord channel there as well. So if you want to submit a question, if you have a question you've always wondered about, if you have a topic you're just interested to hear me break apart and get more info on, then definitely send that my way. Oh, I almost forgot. The source that I used for this week's episode is a book which you can find on Amazon. It's also available on Kindle, which is where I read it. And it is called Halloween, A Condensed History of a Spooky Holiday. And it is written by a man named Jake Henderson. I really enjoyed it. It is not a real long book. It's only 67 pages, and it actually has even more information than I got into. It talks about the origins of other traditions besides just the trick-or-treating and the costuming. It talks about, you know, what are some traditional games and how did those start? Where do we get the jack-o'-lantern from? Things like that. So if you love learning and if you are interested in Halloween like I am, then that's a great one to check out. I also wanted to talk about a correction I have to make to last week's episode. I accidentally said the wrong production company for making those movies. I mentioned the right one towards the end of the podcast, but during my editing, I didn't catch that I had accidentally credited BBC with making the Hogs Father movie and the two movies, um, The Color of Magic and The Light Fantastic. It's actually a different production company that made those two called Sky One. It's also a British production company, but it is not the BBC. So I did just want to correct myself on that. And with that, I will talk to you guys next week. Please remember to check out the other wonderful podcasts and productions here at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself.
So you already love D&D, obviously, but you want to sharpen your skills as a DM or player, right? Enter Dear DM, a Dungeons & Dragons advice podcast where I sit down with your favorite dungeon masters and answer D&D questions asked by you. Natural 20 is nudist. Um. <laughs> <laughs> a plot kanku. Uh, charisma. Dump sack charisma. <laughs> really? Great questions in the community today. Some really fun bits to, to talk on and expand on. So Episodes release every other Tuesday and are available at nerdsmith.org or wherever you get your podcasts.